This is probably one of the hardest films I've ever had to comment on because most of my own analyses are about concepts and ideas rather than the film itself. I actually don't have much to say about the film itself. Not really. Um, it's a movie. It's by Nolan North, who of course has his big thing, which I'll talk about in a minute. It's made uh, $69 million worldwide net. I've been kind of keeping track of that as we go through the Rumination series here this year, after the movies. It's just interesting to think about, because, you know, another film I could mention which made 41 uh, net, I think it was 41, was considered a box office bomb, whereas this one made 69, and nobody actually talks about how good or bad it did financially. It was just, yeah, you know, it's okay. Just interesting to think about. Of course, this one had Nolan attached to it, and Nolan tends to be one of those people who manages to get projects made pretty much no matter what because of his connections. So that's fine. We have... I have to admit, this is a heck of a cast here. Kane, Jackman, uh, Bale. We also have... Uh, I wrote down his name. Dan Daniel... I can never read my own handwriting. The guy who plays Moriarty is the judge here. Also, William Shepard was in this film. And, of course, Scarlett Johansson. And the woman who was the villain in Iron Man 3, I can't remember her name, but she's good too. Good stuff, good stuff. <clears throat> it's a good film, it's a very competent film. But what this film really is, is exposition. Now you're probably thinking, well, of course it is. Or maybe you're thinking, what are you talking about? Depending on how much you've studied Nolan's films. He tends to really, really spend a lot of his cinematic career focusing on multiple methods of exposition. This is probably nowhere more apparent than in Inception, where a huge chunk of the film is devoted towards explaining and showcasing the ideas presented herein. But it is nevertheless something that is definitely present in a lot of his works. And I think it's actually one of the things that works really well for Nolan. Uh, obviously, he is only the director here, not the writer. But you can feel its presence as people will argue things to each other, and as they're arguing them naturally in character, we get understanding of what they're talking about. As they're discussing how to do such and such, or maybe they're debating you know, this other thing, they're deciding exactly how that particular thing is going to work, and so forth and so on. And that's pretty much the norm. That is how this works. That's how this presentation goes, is they're trying to get a bunch of information to you smoothly and efficiently, helping you to understand uh, magic tricks, helping you to understand theater, helping you to understand Tesla and the pseudoscience here. That's another hallmark of Nolan things I've noticed. I don't know if this is true or not. I've never interviewed the man and certainly don't have the pull to do so. But I would be curious if he picks up projects that are just interesting to him. Because most of his stuff is completely ordinary, normal, with one twist. Right? Like Inception. It's more modern, everyday, completely ordinary, except for the fact that we can go inside people's heads. Or the recent film, which I'm not going to talk about, because... Uh, you know, I don't want to talk too much about that. Obviously, recent spoilers are recent. Or this film, where Tesla invents a matter duplicator, and so forth and so on. So this is... Uh, it's interesting. It's interesting the way that he does this kind of stuff. I do get the very strong impression he definitely wants to do things because he wants to. You know, he, he wants to make films, and so he throws himself into his films. <sighs> Let's talk about magic tricks. What is the point of a magic trick for you? I don't mind whatever answer you give there. I'm just curious because I've noticed that as I ask that question of other people, they all give different responses. My response is very simple. 
I want to know how they did it. That's the only thing that is actually of any interest to me in a magic trick. The show's neat, but until you explain it, I don't care. You're just wasting my time. Now, that is only my perspective. But I guess that's just kind of the way my mind thinks. Speaking of someone who analyzes fiction for a living, I suppose that kind of makes logic. Not sense, logic is a difference. <laughs> because this film is all about not actually making sense, doesn't it? That poor bird. There's this... I mentioned the exposition. He does the bird collapsing trick, produces the bird. Here, it's fine, see? And the kid's like, no, no, what about his brother? So, first of all, wah, wah. By the way, the, the level of foreshadowing in this film is through the roof. I'm not sure. As with uh, another film we either are covering after or before. I think I'm setting it right before this. But um, I'm not just going to sit here and discuss every single aspect of foreshadowing for the big twists. Plural. In this film. Because there's so many. It's everywhere. It's hard not to see it. Oh yeah, I should probably mention I walked into this film knowing the main twist. Because it was how the film was originally mentioned to me back when it came out. You know, hey, it's the one with Tesla and duplicating people. Was one of the original sales pitches of this film for me. Go figure. I suppose that doesn't mean anything though. Because knowing a twist doesn't really remove its power. In fact, if anything, it can allow you to see things in a different light. Especially if it's a well done one. Like I've recently talked about another film I could mention. So, is this a well-done twist? <sighs> yeah, so, I'd say that the twist about the Tesla devices is reasonably well done, even though that twist is given away, like, as soon as they show the hats. The moment they show the duplicate hats, and we know that he's going to use this device to do the transporting men, we know what's happening. We have put two and two together. I do think that twist is well done. Because it's neat, it's nice, it's part of the narrative, it's obviously part of the major theme. The fact that there's this duplication thing and that he's either murdering or suiciding every night, thanks to RNG, is something that, you know, is, is, is kind of a byproduct of the main theme and the main plot and the work, right? So that actually works very well for me. And they do a good build-up to it. The build-up to the obsession and the fixation on it, that's, that's nice stuff. Since Angiers was always more obsessed with everything than, well, you know, than uh, the Bergens uh, were, Bordens, excuse me, the Bordens were. That leads me to the other big twist, the Bordens, plural. I know this is weird to talk about this first, but it's probably my biggest flaw with the film, in that the twist about the two Bordens really doesn't work for me. Oh, it's well foreshadowed. Uh, Christian Bale effectively plays two characters, and it is quite obvious, especially if you're looking for it. But no, the, the way he portrays himself, if nothing else, the way he interacts with uh, Sarah, the, the, it is night and day. Actually, to be perfectly frank, the way he interacts with Jess is night and day, too. But there was only really one key exception there. Well, two. Two key exceptions where the person who doesn't love them was having to deal with them, in contrast to the person who does love them. And there's the obvious, you know, today you mean it, today you don't thing. But he does a good job of going back and forth. I am told that there's visual differences they do in their makeup and style, so you can tell which one's which. For me, I always just paid attention to the, to the acting, to the presentation of how they interacted with other people. I do have to admit, 
in a completely selfish mentality, I'm rather glad that the one who actually loved his family is the one who lived at the end. Because, well, because this is a tragedy. I'd call it a Greek tragedy, but I suppose that goes into definitions that I'm not 100% sure of. So let's just call this a straight-up tragedy. Everyone dies, everyone's miserable, with, with one exception, uh, the Borden who does actually live. But that's the other reason their, their particular twist doesn't work for me. What the hell is wrong with you? They are so committed to their thing. They are so committed to their trick, and they refuse to tell anyone about it, including one of theirs lover, who they are sharing between themselves, which is also pretty creepy, by the way. And when they have a child with said lover, which... <sighs> and in, in the oldest thing, they continue to retain this secret. In fact... Uh... There's this bit where Sarah mentions that she knows, and she's figured out. That was actually thrown in. That wasn't part of the original script. <laughs> he he absolutely refuses to share the whole film, and when he final and when she finally figures it out, she hangs herself. You're telling me that they are that committed to this stupid bit, and yeah, I'm gonna call it stupid. Oh sure, it makes for a nice magic trick, I guess. That's about it. That's as as big as it gets. And I'm guessing they were building up to this for the years necessary to fake their identities and their past and to master the, the makeup and the wigs and the design and the teeth and everything they had to do and make sure that the one who wasn't currently active never talked because the voice would give it away immediately. This is ignoring the fact that people can see through things. The people who are intimately familiar with you can see through those things. If my sister walked up to me right now in tons and tons of makeup and you know the, every, all the stylings they put through... I'd still recognize her. She's my sister. So I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it in-universe. I feel it's just kind of a eh, just-go-with-it thing. In in some way, it kind of seems to mirror the, 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 the methods that Angier went to, where he make, actually makes duplicates of himself, however many dozen or hundred. I, well, he did a hundred shows total, but he didn't get to that point, so how, however many shows he actually managed. <laughs> he actually shot himself. That's that's the fun one. Why did he shoot himself? No, really. What's the reasoning there? <laughs> Just, I'm the one near the gun, so I get to live? Was reasoning put into that? Why do that? I could, of course, use this time to segue to talk about cloning. But this isn't cloning. This is actually duplication, or forking, if you prefer. Duplication is different than cloning. Cloning is Star Wars, right? Clone Wars. You have a single genome and you use it to make a bunch of people who are, you know, similar in overall genetic makeup and style to the original, but they are each unique and individual people from word go. They grow up differently and blah, 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 right? Duplication effectively means that you take one thing and make it into two, and as of the moment, the instant of duplication, they are the same person. But from that very second onward, they are now forked, hence the term, and they are now moving off into being completely separate individuals. Because they are. Now, here's the really fun one. Which one's the original? I've actually talked about this concept before. It's one of the more horrifying aspects of duplication. Especially if we're talking about duplication, which involves destruction, which, funnily enough, his method does. Although his method is very crude. He drowns himself, or the other guy, and shoots himself, or the other guy, each time. Now, let me explain that a little bit. 
In order to best explain this, I want to use the individual perspective. You are you, okay? So if you were to track your consciousness, your sense of whatever, until the moment of the fork, and then the fork happens, one of those forks is you, the other one is the duplicate. Now they have the same memories and same mentality and everything, but they are not you. You follow? Your uninterrupted consciousness goes forward onto one of those tines, or teens, or however you pronounce that, of the fork. So... How do they determine which one's which? How exactly do they decide? And I, I, I feel like there's a thing Tesla said. I, I might have missed it. Might have been in the behind-the-scenes material. There's a fair amount of it for this one, too, especially since there's a book, apparently. What? I just keep covering films that didn't sell well, that are very well-liked, that are based off of books. That's just a trend this year. You guys picked them, not me. Don't look at me. After this teen... Uh, is it teen? Is it time? After this fork in the road... It randomly decides which one of you is which, which means you could, at the, at the literal flip of the coin, you could be the guy who's teleported to wherever you're going, or you could be the guy who falls into the tank and drowns to death. So that's neat. <laughs> he, um... I, yeah. How's that for a fun thought? He even mentions it took courage. You know, every night it took courage to do that, to, to, to decide which one he would be. And of course, we have no way of knowing. Anyone external has no real way of knowing. The only real way to know is to actually be the individual. And even that's only really obvious after the fact. Because if the uninterrupted consciousness then goes into the tank and dies, well, that's it. That was you. Congrats. If you go out to the thing, then you have to assume that you are the original. Although you could also be the duplicate, but you wouldn't really know. You would have no way of knowing, since there's no real basis of comparison. Thus, we also come up to the difference between a, an absolute truth and a meta, uh, not a meta, uh, a dependent truth, a truth that depends on your perspective, basically. Which, of course, just leads to a whole other mess. Which, let's leave most of that by the side. I think the really thing, real thing to keep in mind here is that this is, this is actually madness. Um, what, and not, not the device, that's just Tesla. See, I've talked about cloning, and I've talked about the twist. What I really need to talk about, what I need to actually discuss here, is the escalation here. So, Andrew loses his wife, that is horrible. I don't want to try and dismiss that. It's okay, it's, it's, a, it's a quiet death, like going to sleep. No, it's, and drowning is actually a really, really horrible way to go. Really... Really horrible way to go. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed all those deaths, whichever one of you it was. But I'm getting off topic. Um, and we... <laughs> I mentioned exposition. Most of the film, we're following the... The, 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 the adventures is the word I wanted to use there, but that doesn't really work right, does it? We are following the camera. The camera is fixated on one of the Bordens, the Olivia Borden. It's easier to compare them by the relationships. Who is reading a journal of Angiers, reading a journal of the Bordens. Cute, Nolan, very cute. It does a good job of making the flow. That kind of layered in, uh, <laughs> inception sort of exposition is a lot harder to do than it sounds. So I do want to give absolute credit to the technical aspect here. But what I want to talk about is escalation. Tesla, who is awesome, and played by David Bowie, who does a really good job, actually, 
he he loses his wife, and then he loses his fingers, and then he loses his one big shot to try out this new trick, which is really cool by mangling someone in in in. But it just kind of goes back and forth and back and forth. Neither of them can let it go. You may or may not remember last week, or excuse me, two weeks ago, I talked about Fight Club. Now I'm not going to spoil Fight Club, no pun intended. But what I am going to talk about is the concept of the sunk cost fallacy. Now, that is a phrase that is oft misused. Please forgive me for repeating myself if you watched that video, but I've found a lot of people don't, so I'm just going to pretend you've never watched anything I've ever done except for this video right now, and try to explain sunk cost fallacy in the simplest way possible. You have already burnt money on something that is not working, and you have convinced yourself it is worthwhile because of what you have burnt on it, whether in terms of time, money, resources, investment, effort, care, emotional, whatever. Right? That's some cost fallacy. It has to be worth it to keep trying to get back at him because I've already spent so much to get back at him. And vice versa. It has to be worth it to go after him because of how much I've already, we've already spent going back at him. The, the cost is already there, therefore it makes logical sense that it's worthwhile, and therefore we have to keep going. Sunk cost fallacy. You could use another word for that. Obsession. As I mentioned, the, the Nolan films are very high in exposition, and Tesla literally says the main theme of the work to the camera. Well, I, I, I'm... Nah, 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 nah. He says it on camera. He doesn't say it. There's no fourth wall breaking. Um, instead, he says, you know... This is about obsession. I recognize obsession very much because I understand it within myself. He then also admits that he has no power over his own obsession. He must keep going. Nice little bit with the Edison thugs, by the way. Screw you, Edison. So this... This then leads to another nail in the coffin. There's this wonderful bit. Ron Gears is there, and he falls down, and the body doubles there, and he stands and he does the bow down below they have a wildly successful thing they're one of the best performers in london not just magicians but performers in london they are high on life he's got olivia who actually is really into him and can you know they can have a happy life together and you know what he's thinking about he's thinking about the fact that he didn't get to be up there on stage basking in the adulation that's what's bothering him this is the other aspect, and this is one of the reasons that does distinguish the Bordens from Angiers, although at the same time they share this, but I'm getting ahead of myself. It's not just about their rivalry, although that is obviously a cyclical part of the, sh the movie. But for Angiers, his real obsession, the thing that really pushes him, is he needs that. He needs that adulation. He needs that moment of the cheering crowd. And you know what? No judgment. Really, no judgment. I think he's a moron who is also a blatantly evil mass murderer, but I'm not judging him for the fact that he wants to have the cheering crowd. I know that feeling. I would love to go up on stage and perform in a way that makes people legitimately enjoy my performance. I can't, because I can't sing or dance or do anything of any entertainment value whatsoever, but I would still love to do that. To know that people have enjoyed what I have presented before them is a unique feeling. I actually imagine a lot of you understand that feeling. <clears throat> maybe it's cooking, maybe it's drawing, maybe it's making music, maybe it's writing. But knowing that someone enjoys something you've made, that's, that's a unique feeling. So I'm with that. 
I'm with that. The problem is he lets his pride overwhelm him because he wants to actually be on the stage getting it, not be down below the stage getting it. That's why this tickles over from something I like to actual obsession. He is past reason. Because I, I feel like too many people misuse that word obsession. Obsession is when you go beyond reason and logic in a way that is demonstrably unhealthy. Looking at you, Tesla. It's okay, we recruited him a few years ago. He's fine, he's fine. But he's... And Jeers just is like, okay, I'm going to sell you out, Olivia. You go over there and you figure this out. Meanwhile, Root's trying to blackmail them. And then Borden, one of the Bordens, literally, literally steals the show. This is when we really start to see the jumping around narrative uh, being well presented. I don't care about my wife. I care about his secret, is one of the things Angiers says. This is the first and most obvious aspect of his uh, obsession. By the way, I said I'd cut back to it. I might as well cut back to it now. What's the Borden's big obsession? themselves, the, the twin life they have going on. They are just as fixated and obsessed about that to an unhealthy degree as Angiers is about his desire to have that praise, to be the best. By the way, both of their obsessions make no sense. Of course they don't. They're obsessions. The Bordens have the possibility of legitimately happy, enjoyable lives if they just kind of walked away and let, it, let this go and were opened up to both Olivia and Sarah. And Angiers is rich! Uh, by the way, that's actually my favorite bit of foreshadowing in the entire film. Angiers performs, and then it sucks. And then he performs, and then it botches, and he can't get any performance. And then he performs... Well, no, then he doesn't perform for a while. And then he performs, and then he kills himself over and over. But if you're paying attention, in between there, not only does he keep getting new performances, but he has the ability to go fly to America in whatever year this is, sometime between late 1800s to about 1940... So he flies to America, and then goes to and finds Tesla, and then flings money at him en masse, being the only financier funding the entirety of Tesla's operations. Right? That's, that's the best bit of foreshadowing the film for me, the fact that he is part of the rich. But he actually references that way, 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 way back when, uh, when his wife was still alive. And he mentions, you know, I want to change. I had to change the name because I didn't, I, you know, because of my connections with my family, and they didn't approve, and blah blah blah. Tiny little thing slid in there that we can understand now, as him being from old money lord. Anyways, so uh, Borden steals the show. Uh, Angiers breaks a leg, literally. Getting getting more escalation going on here. There's this wonderful bit, you know, I talked about the cloning, I talked about the Bardens, I talked about obsession, I talked about him basking. When he finally accomplishes it, he just absolutely, the, the camera takes a moment to really showcase how much he is soaking in the applause and the adulation, how much he absolutely adores that. Towards the end, which is also the beginning, because we got to do this all completely out of order, we see that... You know, Borden, when he went down, he did actually try to save Angier's life. That's interesting to me, in its own right. What's also interesting is the man in the tank knew everything that was going on. He knew that he was down there to frame Borden for this. So he was now about to die in order to get revenge on the man who cost him his wife by drowning, by drowning, respectively. 
And I just gotta say, there's something incredibly diseased about the man, the mind of Angiers. This guy is a level of unstable that I have problems properly enunciating. Usually when I see someone this unstable, they're running around with white face paint and cackling. This guy is totally cool with murdering... Let's assume it's always him, which it's not, but let's assume that, okay? It is possible, thanks to theory, that the coin will keep turning up heads, right? If it is always him who, who teleports out and doesn't end up in the tank drowning to death, he still has engineered this plan where he is going to brutally murder however many dozen of people, or dozens as the case may be, that are effectively clones of himself so that he can get his revenge on someone by ensuring that he is going to die. So in other words, another murder, he may not be the... Okay, there's a topic for this. I don't remember uh, I don't remember what it's called. It's when you arrange something to frame someone else so that they will die. It's still murder. It's just there's a very specific type for that, and I forget what it's called. Please forgive me. So he murders all his clones, duplicates, forks, he murders very knowingly and deliberately Borden, because screw him. And then he arranges to not only take his secrets, and also make him beg for the right to give him his secrets, but I'll take in your daughter and make sure that she's safe. And now I'll raise your daughter. Wow. That is amazingly messed up. Syndrome over the in The Incredibles is looking at that going, Damn, dude! What is wrong with you? So, the fact that all of the Angiers died doesn't really bother me because he deserved to. <laughs> What's really funny is the Borden who couldn't let go, the one who continued to be fixated on the cycle of revenge, is the one who got hung. The one who tried to talk him out of it, the one who wanted to walk away, that's the one who gets to be with his daughter. It's close to a happy ending in this tragedy as we could actually manage. But I will give the film this one final credit, and that's the final twist. See, <laughs> this is the thing. I know I said I spoke badly about the duplicate twist, but the final twist isn't really the fact that there's two Bordens. The final twist is that you're expecting the Borden in jail, Olivia Borden, to die. Or No, I'm sorry. You're expecting him to escape. You're expecting him to get out, to pull some big trick. He even uh, touches it up by talking up to, you know, hey, look what I'm, do look what I'm doing. You know, remember he, he told the guard earlier, it's, it's, a, it's a magician trick to try and distract people. You know, hey, nothing up my sleeve, right? And even as he dies, he says, abracadabra. But that's the final twist and the final trick. He does, in fact, die. It's just the other Borden gets to continue living. Hopefully under another name. <laughs> Maybe with some more money to help keep going. I mean, he didn't have much going for him. I could comment on a few other things. The Aristocrat, obviously, is far more about showmanship and complex tricks, whereas the low-class guy is far more about simple tricks that nevertheless require a lot of uh, skill to pull off properly. Yeah, just little stuff like that. But nevertheless... This was a better movie than I thought it was, which is really good, because if you've actually managed all this way, I hope I can tell you this now without you killing me with stones and sticks. See, for the longest time, I kept getting the prestige mixed up with uh, Now You See Me. Even when I was working on this exact film, you know, as I was doing some of the prep work, I wasn't 100% sure which one of the two films I was covering. 
I'm not going to spoil now you see me, but let's just say that there is kind of a magician thing, sort of exposition thing, oh, by the way, magic is real thing, kind of a thing going on, and then I guess I just spoiled the whole thing. But the point is, <laughs> the point is I was just like, wait, which one is the prestige? Oh, God, I don't remember. Uh, uh, look up, look up, look up. Okay, this is the one about Tesla. Wait, wasn't Tesla in the other one? Like I said, the first thing that was ever told to me about this film was the Tesla thing. I do hope you've enjoyed my thoughts, guys. And, uh, oh, I actually have a question right at the end here for you. Obviously, Angiers is unstable and unhinged, and the Bordens are unstable or unhinged. Uh, what I want to know is, how much of the blame do you think sits on their shoulders? All three of them. I, uh, let me ask that a little bit differently. Where do you think the distribution of blame goes? Because I've heard a few people discuss this in a couple of Reddit threads, and I talked to a friend of mine who's actually watched this film, and we had a fascinating discussion about exactly that topic. I'm not going to give my thoughts, because I feel like I kind of have, but I'm curious of yours, if you want to share them. Otherwise, I will see you next time, guys.